I'm starting a series called Last Words, and I think it's significant because they were the last words spoken by Jesus as he hung on the cross, and, and I, I just want you to, to understand what that meant. That was not easy to do. So when you're, when you're crucified, you're hanging on a cross, your lungs are collapsing, your fluid is building up so much that you're about to drown. Many people think that they put the spikes in his, in his hands. That's not so because if you put them in his hands, it'll just rip and came right out. They had to put him in his wrist between two bones, and the bones was what it was resting on. And so with, with every, he could relax like this and bring some comfort to his wrists and arms and shoulders and all that's connected. But to speak, he would have had to raise up, putting excess pressure, stress, strain on his extremities, feet, arms as well. And then he would try to get his breath and he would talk. And so, and so not only were these words very hard to speak, but, but obviously they must have been important. And so from now into Easter, we're going to look at five phrases or five different things that Christ said on the cross. And today we're going to look at the, the and here's how I got this, how we kind of ordered them. There is a synoptic gospels. I don't know if you know what that means, but the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and they all are really familiar in the stories they tell, the narratives that are in them. The synoptic gospels put them in order. So they'll take out Matthew, and they'll, they'll, they might be a little bit different information in John, and they'll put it all together so chronologically you can kind of walk through it. And they believe this is the first thing that Jesus said on the cross, and I'll tell you in just a minute. So let me set the stage. He had, he had just, been, just been, went through that mock trial, so they got people to come up and accuse him of things he didn't do. He had just been in the courtyard where the, where the Roman guards just beat him brutally. His, his back was laid open like a, flesh, a freshly plowed field. His, his, his organs were, were exposed. They insult to injury. They place a crown of thorns on his head, which brings bleeding and pain and agony. They drape a royal robe around his back, which not only caused pain, but when they took it off, again, it just, with the flesh and the blood and, the, and just agony and and they hit him with their fists. They were punching him. And then they get him to the cross. And they throw a, a beam across his back that he's to carry up this hill. And it says two other men, both criminals, were also led with him to be executed. The crucifixion was not unusual. It was a very, uh, that's how the Romans punished violent criminals. So it was not something the crowds were, they were used to seeing. What was unusual about this day was the person they were crucifying. And when they came to the place called the skull, and that also is Golgotha, where they got to Golgotha, the reason they play, called it the place of the skull is because when they looked at it, the limestone looked like a skull. They crucified him there. So they, they took him up the hill, they stretched out his arms, they drove in the spikes, they drove in the, the everything that's within him. He's been hanging there for a while. He's, ex, I mean, he's, he's in excruciating pain terrible place, and he's with the criminals. He came in a stable. He died amongst thieves, one on his right, one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. There's three things that I want to point out concerning this phrase and some of the last words of Jesus. One, on the cross, Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. 700 years before Jesus was crucified, Isaiah predicted, he said, he poured out his life, speaking of Jesus, 
Jesus poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, one on his right, one on his left. For he bore the sins of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. He, he made, what does intercession mean? It means he prayed. And that, Father, forgive them. What's he doing? He's praying. And, it, and I think it's uh, worth pointing out that in Acts chapter 2, 40, 50 days later, some of the same people that were around that cross mocking him and making fun of him, when Peter stood up to preach, gave their heart to Jesus. So you say, intercession doesn't matter. My prayers aren't effective. I would argue otherwise. They do matter. It does make a difference. You crying out and calling out to God on somebody's behalf. There's no telling what God might, what God could, what God will do for those if we'll just pray. That's why I am so passionate about the Tuesday morning prayer team. There's a men's group that meets from 6 to 7. And the Wednesday prayer that we meet here from 7 to 8. And Thursday morning from 6 to 7. And then Mike and Linda survey lead a prayer meeting on Saturday night. Because we believe that intercession matters. That we're making a way for people to come to know Jesus. That, that we're like the fullback clearing the path so the gospel can be shared. And hearts can be opened and people can respond to the love and grace of Jesus. It, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. 700 years before Jesus was crucified... Isaiah talked about it. I, 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 that's not coincidence. That's not chance. That's not luck. That's because uh, Jesus was a real person. He did a real, lived a real life, and he did a real thing. The other thing that I think I want to point out in this is that Jesus revealed man's greatest need, and that's forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And I would just say this. Ignorance does not equal innocence. Just because you don't think you need forgiveness doesn't mean that you don't. You, you do. And, and who was Jesus talking to? He, who is them? Father, forgive them. Well, he was talking about the Roman soldiers that had just beat the cheese out of him and left him on a cross to die, who were at his feet at that moment gambling for his clothes. That, that he was talking to the religious leaders who, who out of competition and a religious spirit were standing off to the side, who had been his constant, constant adversary for the years that for the past three years that he was involved in ministry. And with their pious attitude and their righteous indignation, they were, they were crucifying the, the Son of God. And he was saying, Father, forgive them. He was saying it to the crowds of people that were gathered around that day who had joined in the procession to make fun of, to make light of. He was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was also talking about you and I. He was also speaking to you. He was speaking to me. However, 2,000 years ago, he was on the cross and he was looking to the future. And he was saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive me. Forgive you. And, and you say, well, again, I don't need forgiveness. Innocence does not, does, uh, ignorance does not equal innocence. We do need forgiveness. That's our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is sin. Sin is universal for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is hereditary. Through one man, sin entered the human race. Adam's sin, and, and after it, every one of us have a, a defective gene. We have a sin nature. Sin, the wages of sin is death. And, and, and if we don't, if we don't, if we're not able to pay for our sin or allow Jesus to pay for our sin, the result will be eternal damnation and condemnation outside of his presence. He who knew no sin on that cross was becoming sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I, he was revealing our greatest need was forgiveness. And Jesus was offering 
his greatest gift, God's greatest gift, which is grace. There are many characteristics that describe God that set him apart from any other. But one of them is his merciful and gracious heart. And I would, I would argue, in fact, that that might, what, that might be what he wants to be known by the most. Well, how do you see that? Because when Moses was leading the children out of Israel, he went to God and said, God, who do you want me to tell the people you are? How do you want me to get these millions of people from a, from a bondage to the Egyptians to freedom in the promised land? How do you want me to articulate your heart and to express your mind? And, and this is what God said. He said, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And he passed in front of him, proclaiming the Lord God. And he said, I'm merciful and gracious. I'm long-suffering. I'm abundant in goodness and truth. I keep mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Well, why did it? That sounds like the same word. Why did he use all three? Here's what I want you to know, Moses. Here's what I want you to communicate to my people. I forgive iniquity. That's the inward vent. That's the inward motivation. That's the thing that's within your heart. And I want to forgive your transgression. Another word would be trespass. So when you transgress, you trespass. Are you cross the line? You open the gate. You go somewhere you're not supposed to be. Iniquity is the inward motivation. Transgression is the outward expression. Adultery would be transgression. I've crossed the line. I've went too far. Lust would be iniquity. Or maybe for somebody else it would be insecurity. Because I can't find security in who I am in Christ. Because I'm looking for a need that I'm trying to find somewhere outside of God. Then I will commit a transgression. Iniquity, inward bent, transgression, the active movement, moving toward. Jesus said, I came to forgive both. And, and here's, here's what people tell me, all, especially men. I've got this anger problem. My dad had an anger problem. My grandfather had an anger problem. That's just who I am. That's my natural bent. That's my nature. God didn't die for you to keep that nature. Jesus died that you could be forgiven of that iniquity. In fact, that's no longer your nature if you said yes to Jesus. If any man is in Christ, he has a new nature. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. God says, I want to forgive you of that inward bent so that you can. That's why he talks about all these. You've heard of these uh, generational curses and sin being passed down. Because it is, it is true. I mean, scientifically, biblically, an alcoholic dad, a son of an alcoholic dad, oftentimes has a bent or, or a tendency to fall into the same trap. And God is saying through Moses, I want to forgive it all. I want to set you free. I don't want you living like your natural father. I want you living filled with the power of your heavenly father. I don't want you living out that old nature. I want you living out that new nature. Therefore, I'm going to forgive your iniquity. I'm going to free you, and I'm going to forgive your transgression. That's good. I'm preaching a lot better than you're listening, but that's good. Here, here's another thing. The Leviticus, in Leviticus, we're going, just, I'm just going to kind of walk you through the Bible as quick as I can. To just let you know, I think God more than anything wants us to know he's a forgiving God. Leviticus 1, and, and it's not the most exciting book. If you're a new believer, I don't encourage you to go there. I, I don't, you know, it's not probably a Bible study you want to dive deep into unless you know the purpose. The purpose of Leviticus is to point us to a future savior, a future sacrifice, a future redeemer. And so Leviticus is, is all about what they were experiencing then, but it was a picture of what was to come. And the greatest day, the, the most cherished 
holy day holiday was the day of atonement. And, and the priests would get all the children of Israel together and they would celebrate because it was a, it was a picture of them getting their sins forgiven. And they would get two goats and one goat was to be sacrificed and one goat was to become a scapegoat. And so they take the first goat and they would take it to the outer courts and they would sacrifice it. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So it was a picture of blood being shed so, you could, so they could be forgiven. And then they would take this scapegoat and the leader, the spiritual authority, would place his hands on the goat's head. And he would begin to confess all the sins of Israel. God, forgive us for our apathy. God, forgive us for our attitudes. Forgive us for our actions. Forgive us for our immorality. Forgive us for our whatever. And we're, we're just placing them on, the, on this goat. And then the guy that was designated would take the goat and he would begin to lead him out of the city. And the crowds would part and, and it would be a very uh, sober, solemn assembly where, where they, it would be reflective. It would be, it would be uh, very uh, hard to see and to watch. And they would get this goat all the way over the town and they would watch as he crests the hill. And then the guy would let him go. And, he would, and as soon as he let the goat go, all the people would just begin to celebrate and begin to get excited that our sins are removed, our sins are gone. And if you don't understand, that doesn't make any sense unless you understand what Jesus did. He was the perfect lamb without spot or wrinkle. He was sacrificed. For our sake, he was sacrificed, again, because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And he took our sins upon, he who knew no sin became sin for us. All our junk, all our attitudes, all our actions was placed on the head of Christ, was placed on the brow of Christ, was placed on the back of Christ, so that we could be forgiven and be set free. You know why Jonah, let me, let me skip back, even before I get to Jonah, David sinned. David had messed up royally, and, and uh, he, you know, he committed adultery. He tried to kill a man, and eventually the man did get killed. And here's what David prayed. The Lord is compassionate. I don't want that one. I want this one right here. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Can I, can I just pause here and stop yelling so fast and spitting all over the place? Oftentimes, when we know we've blown it and when we've missed the mark, we want to go away from God. But if you look at the example of David, he cried out to God. And, and you say, well, he didn't do what I did. He, he did a lot. He did some stuff that uh, was not model or ideal in any sense. And he said, hear me, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry. When you mess up, when you blow it, don't go away from God. Go to God. You know what happened to Adam and Eve? You know, part of their problem was when they sinned, they went and hid and tried to cover themselves. God came down in the garden and said, Adam, where are you? See, God's still looking. God's still seeking. God doesn't want you to run and hide. He wants you to come and be with him. But here's what he said. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? God, if, if you judged me, if you gave me what I deserved, I deserve judgment. God, if you gave me what I deserve, there's no way I can be in your presence. God, if you give me what I deserve, I can no longer be king. I can no longer walk with you. I can no longer fellowship with you. But here's what David came to understand. But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, I don't have to, I don't have to be under the constant cloud of guilt. I got to deal with the consequences, but I don't have to be under the constant cloud of condemnation and fear and hopelessness and despair. Because with you, God, there is forgiveness. When Jonah went to the Ninevites, he didn't, didn't want to go. 
He, you, you know, he, he ran at first and went to Tarshish, and that's when they threw him off the boat, and he got swallowed by a whale, and they kicked him back on shore. Why, why did he not want to go to Nineveh? Because the Ninevites were wicked, cruel, and the Israelites constant oppressor. And this is what, this is what Jonah said. He said, if I, go, if I went to Nineveh, I knew that you're gracious and compassionate, God. I knew you wouldn't show anger, but you would abound in love, and you would, you would relent your, your calamity, and you would be gracious to him. And sure enough, that's exactly what God did. Jonah went, and he preached, and their hearts were laid bare, and they surrendered to Jesus, and they, and they gave their lives back to Christ. And the hand of God, the anger of God, the judgment of God relented, and he showed mercy and grace. You know the story of the prodigal son? It's really not the prodigal son. It's the story of the merciful father. We call it the prodigal son because we always want to take a story and make us the hero. We always want to take the story and make us the center of it. The story is about not the, the prodigal son's sin. We all understand sin. We've all went prodigal. The story is about a merciful father. The story, in context, there was a lost coin. He hunted all over to find it. In context, there was a lost sheep. And Jesus left the 99 to go find the one. The lost prodigal, the, he, he showed res, restraint and he showed tough love. But he constantly looked over the doorstep of his, of his porch looking for his son to come home. It's the story of a merciful God that as soon as we come to our senses and repent of our sin and return to the Lord, that he wants to welcome us and embrace us and love on us. Go get the fatted calf. We're going to Ruth, Chris. My son once was lost. Now he's found. Because I'm a forgiving God, I'm a gracious God, I'm slow to anger, abounding in love. If you'll, rela- if, you'll, if you'll awaken, repent, and return, I will forgive. I will remove. I will cover. I will set you free because of what Christ did for you. For what Christ did for you. Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And here's the importance of this. This is foundational in your relationship with Jesus. It's foundational in your walk with God. You have to be, as a follower of Jesus, you have to be confident in God's willingness and his ability to forgive you of any and every sin. When we make a confession, when we, when we repent, and repentance is part of it, when we turn from it, God, by his grace, because of what Jesus did, completely forgives us. The Bible even says he throws our sin as far as the east is from the west. He throws into the sea of forgetfulness. And this is what I want us to do today. I want us to, what, what Isaiah said, I want us to come and settle this matter. I want it to get settled once and for all for those who are, and I'm not talking about people that are just sinning, And saying, well, God's grace is good enough, and I'll just keep sinning, and I'll just keep living the way I want to live. You misunderstood God's grace. You've misapplied God's grace. You really have never even received God's grace. I'm not talking about those who were not even in the fight with their sin. I, I am talking to those who have truly, to the best of their ability, repented, confessed, turned. You say, well, why am I still struggling with it? Why, why is it? Some of you today, are you, you get victory for a while, and you go back into this sin, and you mess up again, and, 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 you're, and you're broken over it, and you're hurt over it, and you repent of it, and you ask forgiveness from it, and you move forward for a season, and then you fall back into that sin again, and, and you say, I'm unworthy. God can't forgive me anymore. God can't make restitution. I, I'm done. I want us today to settle this matter once and for all. If you're broken over your sin, if you're contrite over your sin, if you have confessed your sin, if you have repented of your sin, 
Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like wool. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as white as snow. Today, once and for all, can we settle this issue? Well, you say, I just keep blowing it. I, I just keep messing up. I keep falling short. Well, welcome to the human race. We all blow it. We all make poor decisions. We all have bad judgment at times. And that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible, every character in the Bible was not above reproach. Every character in the Bible had some issue. Moses was the leader of the Israelites. He, he, he couldn't control his emotions. He acted often out of fear. He, he, his anger was not able to be controlled at all times. He, he, the, the Bible, he killed an Egyptian with his bare hands. He was insecure. Moses was less than, than, than maybe what we have put him out to be. We've talked about David, what he did. God said, you're a man after my own heart. He fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation. Abraham was the father of faith, but yet he lied on two different occasions and told a king that Sarah was not his wife, but was his daughter, because, I mean, was his sister, because he was afraid of what might happen. Peter was the main speaker at the day of Pentecost. That's a great privilege. That's a great honor. For any preacher to be the main speaker at the number one conference is a big deal. But in reality, Peter denied Christ three times. Peter spoke often more than he thought. Peter was less than ideal. And I'm not telling you these stories to justify your sin or excuse your mistakes or rationalize your bad decisions. I'm just saying, if you've blown it, if you've messed up, if you've made a poor decision, if you've lacked good judgment, welcome to humanity and let me introduce you to grace. Who is a God like you who pardons sins? That means I've... I, I erase it. I let it go and forgives the transgression. You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. And, and, and here, here's, here's the fear. Here's my worry. Here's my concern. Many Christians are still living under the cloud of their sin. They're living under what the Bible calls condemnation. Condemnation defeats. Condemnation leaves you in a sense of despair Condemnation leaves you feeling hopeless and helpless. And it's a tool of the enemy to keep you unproductive and ineffective for God. He, the Bible calls the enemy, Satan, the accuser of the brethren. He's constantly accusing, accusation, condemning. Somehow he gets access to God. This is what the Bible says. I don't understand it completely. But he brings the accusations to God uh, about us. And when he talks to God, he's usually telling the truth. You're going to, did you hear, did you see what David did? Are you telling me he's a man after your own heart? He, he can't even control his own urges. He, he, Abraham, you're going to use him as the father of faith? Satan, just accusing. Well, what do you, what do you mean Peter's going to be the pastor of the New Testament church? He speaks way more than, than he thinks. He's, he's irrational and, and sometimes out of control. You want to use Stan Grant as a pastor? You, you think he is worthy of standing before people and talking about marriage and family? Did you see him argue with his wife last week? I know it was the first time he ever argued, but it was an argument nonetheless. <laughs> You're going to let him preach? He didn't have his quiet time yesterday. What? And he's just accusing and, and bringing accusation against us. 
and he's trying to tell God that we're unworthy, that we're unlovable, that we can't be trusted, that we can't be used, that we'll never make a difference. And you know what God is hearing? Blah, 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 blah. And though most of his accusations are accurate, Jesus steps in and he takes on our defense and he becomes our intercessor and our advocate and our attorney. And it, and it cost him his life. But he represents us before God the Father. And he stands in our behalf. And he pleads our case. And the devil's accusations are thrown out of court. No warrant served. No charges filed. No time served. Jesus, by his blood, shed blood on Calvary, throws out the case. And we're free from condemnation in the eyes of God. We are declared righteous on his behalf. And since God can't change, since Satan can't change God's mind, he becomes and starts to accuse us. He starts to say, uh, uh, you've gone too far this time. Forgiveness is no longer available. God has abandoned you. God no longer loves you. Satan wants to try to convince us that God is finished with us. That we ought to feel hopeless and in despair and defeated, unworthy. He wants to convince you of your past guilt and, and convince you that you're unacceptable to God and the enemy of your soul desires you to live under the high, uh, oppressive hand of condemnation because he knows it will keep you unproductive, ineffective. It'll crush your spirit and, 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 and it has the potential to cause you to give up and turn away from God. But according to God's word, if you're in Christ, if, if you... If you have said yes to Jesus, you've been washed by his blood. You've been forgiven by his grace. You've been guarded by his hand. You've, you've been protected by his power. And you have all the authority to tell, tell that liar, the enemy, tell that rascal to get under your feet. You're not going to listen to his condemnation or accusation. You're going to stand and rejoice in the goodness and the forgiveness of God. Another source of condemnation is just people. Specifically, in this case, unbelievers, family members, co-workers, constantly watching us, waiting and wanting us to mess up, wanting to use the hypocrite word on us, wanting our actions to somehow prove that Jesus is a fake or Christianity is for the weak or, or the way we live and the way we talk really don't align. And so they hurl their accusations. I mean, do you ever feel like people are looking at you and they're just wanting you to fall so they can say something about your God or accuse you of, of something. And I'm all about being a testimony. And I'm all, I'm all about trying to live what I talk and to honor God in every area. But you don't have to look far to, fall, to find out that I miss the mark, that I fall short, that I mess up. You say, what kind of pastor are you? I'm just like you. We fall short. We mess up. But I'm yielded to him. I'm seeking him. I, I, I'm going after him. And here's what I know. He's working on me. He's shaping me. I'm not what I once, I, I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I'm going to be. I am still a work in progress, and so are you. And I, I, I don't do everything right, and I don't respond every time the right way. But I know he who began a good work in me is going to finish it to the day of Christ Jesus. And so I'm not going to let the accusation and the condemnation of others trying to trying to accuse me of things that I know I've done wrong. I know I'm not right to get me to throw up my hands and throw in the surrender tower and say, I can't do it, God. I'm out. It's saying God is a forgiving God. He's gracious. He's compassionate. Our own hearts condemn us. Our own hearts. I mean, you, you, can, you can relate to Paul. The very thing I want to do, I don't do the thing I, I, I wish I did more of. I, I have a hard time 
doing and so our hearts condemn us and tries to beat us and tell us that we can't do it, wants to convince us that we'll never make it or make sure that we never forget our shortcomings or our failures, that condemnation wants to cause us to feel defeated and render us ineffective, declare us a loser and cause us to be hopeless. And in the middle of the chaos and in the confusion, in the middle of the attacks and the accusations, Jesus is on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. And Jesus emphatically declared through the Apostle Paul, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, if you've said yes to Jesus, if you've repented of your sin, your relationship with God is secure, the promise of heaven is yours, and there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. And the biggest mistake you can make is say that's for everybody else and not for me. That what I've done is too far gone. That I've crossed the line one too many times. That I've trespassed to a way that I could never be forgiven. You know who you're acting like when you think like that? You're acting like Judas. And when you read the story of Judas, on all accounts, it seems, it appears like he repented. I mean, when you look at his story, he confessed. He said, Matthew 7, 4, 27, 4 says, Judas said, I have sinned. He not only confessed, but he confessed his sin. I have, I have shed innocent blood. And then he made restitution. He returned the 30 pieces of silver. But, but, but in his repentance, Judas was not able to receive forgiveness. And he went and hung himself on a tree. Some of you this morning are hanging yourself on a tree of hopelessness because you don't believe in the forgiveness of God. You don't trust that his grace is sufficient that that what he did on Calvary was enough that when he said father forgive them he was talking to you here's what Jesus said come to me all who are weary and burdened don't run from me don't go the other direction you're you're burdened by your sin you're over you're overwhelmed by your guilt you're ashamed by what you've done don't hide, come. Don't, don't make light up, confess. Come to me if you're weary and you're burdened, and I will give you rest. That's forgiveness. I want to I take that burden. I want to take that guilt. I want to take that condemnation. I want you to be forgiven, God says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is forgiveness. This is this is lordship or this is leadership. Come and follow me. Leave that place of sin. Leave that thing and, and come and, and yoke with me. Partner with me. Why? For I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Here, here's, here's the first words out of Jesus' mouth as he hung on the cross, I think it's so important, it's so vital. These last words, Father, forgive them. He's talking to you. Will you bow your head and your heart with me? Lord, we thank you that you're a forgiving God. And I, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit that we would, that we would embrace that. And that would... That would cause us to receive your forgiveness and, and 
leave here with a greater desire to serve you and live for you and honor you. Will you take a moment and, and, and ask the Holy Spirit? We talked about condemnation. There's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's called conviction. Maybe the Lord wants to point out a sin in your life, not to defeat you, but to draw you. Not to condemn you, but to, to forgive you. Lord, forgive me today for my attitudes and my actions. For the things I've said, for the things I've done that don't align with your word or don't make you proud. Lord, forgive me today. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Make me new, God, I ask. confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why don't you stand with me, will you, all over this place? And here's how Paul said it. Paul said, in view of your mercy, God, in view of your kindness, in view of your grace, in light of all that you've done for me, I'm going to offer myself as a living sacrifice. See, if you take this message and you say, in light of your forgiveness, in light of your mercy, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to, I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to meet my own needs. You've missed it. Paul said, in light of your mercy, your mercy, your love causes me to repent. Your mercy causes me to want to give my life to you. When you really understand the forgiveness and mercy of God, you don't want to sin. You want to press into Jesus. You want to go after him with everything that you have. Lord, in light of your mercy, I give myself to you today. Lord, I surrender to your will and to your way and to your heart. Will you do it? Will you lift your hands towards heaven in an act of surrender? Just say, God, I surrender. God, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my mind, everything I am, everything I hope to be. I surrender to you, Jesus. Lord, if you thought I was worth dying for, you're worth living for, I give it to you, God. Here I am, Lord. Let I give myself to you fresh and anew today. God, I want to walk with you. Lord, I want to talk with you. I, I don't want to be conformed to the pattern of this word. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. God, help me to fight sin. Help me to finish the race. Help me to keep the faith. Put your hand over your heart, will you? And just say, Lord, give me a sensitive heart. When you convict me, help me to... Get forgiveness quick and to move on in Jesus' name. Will you put your hands on your head and just say, Lord, give me the mind of Christ. I, I'm not going to listen to the devil's lies. I'm not going to listen to the accusation and condemnation. I'm going to stand on your word that says I am fully loved, completely forgiven. That by your grace I have been saved. 